the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. Well, that was another pretty easy to understand story from Luke. Luke is full of those. Some of the stories are stories that Jesus tells. We call them parables. And some of the stories are about stories about what Jesus does. And they are all told for a purpose. They're not just there to fill up space. So a couple of weeks ago we had the story of the nagging widow who nags the unjust judge. A story Luke says is all about persistent praying. If we pray for justice, God will deliver. Easy. Except, well, at the moment, there just seems like so much injustice, suffering, wars, climate change, racism, people being paid so poorly they can't afford housing and food. It feels like sometimes God is more like the unjust judge than the God who quickly delivers justice. So maybe that story isn't quite so easy to understand. But generally, it's supposed to be easy to understand. And last week we had the story about the self-righteous Pharisee who gives thanks that he is not like those other less devout people, for example, like tax collectors, especially that tax collector over there who simply says, God have mercy. The simple motto, don't be like the Pharisee. That seems easy enough. Thank God I'm not like that Pharisee. And then there is a story about a rich man who asks Jesus a question. And Jesus says, all you have to do is go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Which the rich man doesn't find so easy. And he goes away sad because he has lost possessions. Actually, that last one wasn't a parable. That was just a story about Jesus. But it's okay because we're not really sure what to do with him. That one, are we? Like, that's quite a tricky one. It's pretty tricky for Franciscans because that's one of the passages that Francis himself really liked. So we kind of have, uh, what do we do with that one? And now we have another easy little story about a guy called Zacchaeus, a ruler among tax collectors who was rich. And we've already had lots of stories about tax collectors and rich people. Surely, because he's rich, he's got to be bad to the core. That's how he got rich. Surely. No one likes him. He has to climb a tree to see this famed itinerant rabbi as he walks through Jericho. How humiliating for a, a, a ruler amongst tax collectors that he has to climb a tree. But Jesus sees him. That's a surprise but also not a surprise. All at once, Jesus was good at seeing the invisible. And Jesus says to Zacchaeus that he must hurry down because he, Jesus, has to join him for a meal that day, which for us sounds okay, but in his time was not okay. And people grumble. And the word grumble there is exactly the same word used of the people of Israel when they grumbled against Moses. So it's quite an intense word. It's not just a, oh, that's not very nice. It's an, an intense, 
not very happy grumbling. It's a grumbling with discontent and anger at Zacchaeus because he's a ruler amongst tax collectors and rich and maybe Jesus because he is honouring this ruler of tax collectors and rich. And in response, well, it gets interesting at this point. In response, Zacchaeus, the rich chief tax collector, promises to change his ways. Yes, he will still work for the Romans, but he will give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I cheat anyone, I will repay them four times as much. And Jesus responds, Today salvation has come to this household, because he too is a son of Abraham. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Well, thank God we're never like Zacchaeus. And I hope that the math stacks up. So what is the story about? A common understanding is that Zacchaeus was lost. He was a ruler amongst tax collectors and rich. But his encounter with Jesus changes him. And he repents. And from that point on, he will continue to be a ruler amongst tax collectors. But he will treat people fairly. And as a result, he is saved and restored as a son of Abraham. So from that reading, this is what repentance looks like and what needs to be done in response to forgiveness. But is it about more than that? Is Zacchaeus the only one lost in the story? I am beginning to read a book by a Jewish writer called Amy Jill Levine, who has written a book called Short Stories by Jesus, The Enigmatic Parables of a Controversial Rabbi. One of the interesting things about A.J. Levine is that she is a professor of New Testament and Jewish studies. So we don't often get those two things together. We don't often get Jews writing about the New Testament. But she does, and she is renowned for her work because she comes to the New Testament as a Jew without all our theological hang-ups about who Jesus is. She's just reading it as a Jew. She doesn't really care who Jesus is, but she does care about what the Gospels say who Jesus is. So that brings a different perspective to it. But she also brings her Jewish perspective and her knowledge of how to read scripture as a Jew. Which, given that all of the New Testament was written by Jews, seems quite an interesting thing to do. Like we keep forgetting that. They were all Jews. Uh, and in terms of being Christians, as we understand it, they, most of them wouldn't have agreed with us. They would have mostly seen themselves as Jews. Even Paul, who was right on the edge of how Judaism understood itself. So when she reads Jesus' parables and stories about Jesus, she reads them as part of a long tradition of parables within the Hebrew Scripture. These are not things that Jesus invented. They were things that have existed for a very long time. So think of Nathan and David. When David did his stuff with Bathsheba and Uriah, Nathan came and told him the story. It's a parable. 
And they are all through the Hebrew Scriptures. But they are also used within rabbinical writing at the time of Jesus and after Jesus up to today. And she reads them as someone who's used to hearing them as part of dinner conversations, as people explore life and what it means and where scripture fits within that. So for her these are not special stories told by Jesus or told about Jesus to get over one simple moral point. Now her work is about the parables that Jesus tells. And I have to say that when I was writing the sermon, this is a little confession, in my head the story about Zacchaeus was a parable. And it was only when I was emailing it out to the parish I went, no it's not, Jesus isn't telling a story, this is a story about Jesus. Do I have to rewrite my sermon? And then I thought about it and I went, no, because... Actually, what Luke does is then tell stories about Jesus for exactly the same reason that Jesus told parables. They are parables in and of themselves. So we have gospel books, particularly the Synoptic writings, which are a series of stories, parables, that were told for a particular purpose or purposes, as we will see. So parables are always stories with echoes of other stories. So the story about Zacchaeus echoes back to all the other stories in Luke's Gospel, which, which are about tax collectors, and about rich people, and about invisible people. So when you encounter a tax collector, you've already met them, and you already know what people think about them, and you already know what Jesus thinks about them in some ways. And when you encounter rich people, well, you've already encountered those as well. So they're not standalone. They link back to all those other stories and all the other stories that are within Scripture. So Jesus isn't just making up stories. He is, when people hear, heard those stories, they would hear echoes of other stories they knew from sitting in the synagogue. And they always, within a Jewish setting, offer multiple meanings. Jews don't read them to find out what the moral of the story is. They read them to tease them out to find the multiple meanings in those stories. And they are always, she says, mysterious and difficult. She writes that what makes a parable mysterious or difficult is that they challenge us to look into the hidden aspects of our own values, our own lives, and they bring to the surface unasked questions, and they reveal the answers we have always known, but refuse to acknowledge. She cautions against our tendency to find the right meaning of the parable or the story, and instead invites us to be open to multiple interpretations. When we hear a parable and think, I really like that, or worse, find no challenge, she warns that we are not listening well enough. If you're not uncomfortable, you need to go back. She suggests we might ask what other ways we could hear the story. All of which makes me wonder how else we could read all those parables and stories that we might have thought were pretty straightforward. 
So let's have another look at Zacchaeus. So this is not a story that Jesus tells, but it is a story about what Jesus does, and I think it acts in the same way as a parable that Jesus might tell. It is a story that unsettles and disturbs and asks questions of us. And to have a look at the story, I think we also need to go all the way back to Luke 9.51, where Jesus sets his face to Jerusalem. So from 9.51 through to now, 10 chapters later, Jesus is journeying towards Jerusalem. And one well, should never read the Gospel, you know what that means. It means crucifixion and death and resurrection. And he actually talks about that three times and no one understands what he's talking about. So it's set within that journey from Galilee down to Jerusalem. This story is in Jericho. Jericho is at the bottom of the hill. So it's a big hill. It takes a long time to get up and down that hill. But Jericho is the last town you go to and then you go up the road to Jerusalem, which is at the top of the hill. So... And on that way, he healed people, he made invisible people visible, and he told stories or parables to answer people's questions, just as, been, just as had been done within Hebrew scripture, and was being done, and would continue to be done by other rabbis, asking questions and answering questions of, of their scriptures. And those stories were designed to make people uncomfortable. As did his choice of mealmates. In Luke's Gospel, it is his choice of mealmates that gets him into trouble. And eventually, that's why the leaders want him crucified. Because of who he chooses to associate with. The wrong people. And so here he is, he's come near to the end of his journey. He goes through Jer Jericho and he sees an invisible but noisy and desperate blind man, and he heals him, and then as he's about to walk up the hill and enter Jerusalem on his donkey, there is another there, Zacchaeus, a ruler among tax collectors who was rich, so rich, surely he had to be corrupt. He is a collaborator with Rome. He's unclean, he is loathed, and he is belittled. And he was keen to see Jesus, but the crowd were not so keen for him to see Jesus, and they wouldn't make room for him. So he runs down the road and he climbs a tree. How humiliating to be a person who is a ruler who has to climb a tree. And he sees Jesus, and Jesus sees him. Which is a surprise, but not a surprise, because Jesus kept seeing invisible people. And Jesus says that he, Zacchaeus, must hurry down because he, Jesus, is going to join him for a meal that day. And people grumble. They grumble their discontent and anger at Zacchaeus and maybe at Jesus for honouring him in that way. And in response, Zacchaeus, the rich tax collector, defends himself against their accusations and says, Look, Lord, I give half of my possessions to the poor. 
And if I cheat anyone, I repay them four times as much. Present tense, not future tense. The Greek, the Greek can be read either way and is translated either way. So the RSV, RSV has present tense, the new RSV has future tense. The message has present tense, Common English Bible has present tense, think the NIV has future tense. So people translate that depending on what they think the story means. Is this a story about repentance? Future tense. Is this a story about something else? Present tense. The Greek is very ambivalent. Greek allows you to read this in many ways. So in this reading, in this reading, this way of reading it, there is no repentance. Not as we traditionally understand it. Yes, he still works for the Romans, but he tries to do it honestly, honourably. Better he than some of the unscrupulous thieves around. There are enough of those. And Jesus responds, Today salvation is in this home. And he says to the crowd, Here he is, Zacchaeus, son of Abraham, who you did not see. For the Son of Man came to find and restore the lost. So the question remains, who is lost in the story? And who is saved? What does salvation mean in the story? And where are we in the story? And what questions does this story ask of us? So I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to talk to your neighbour if you want. And there's some questions. What does salvation mean? Who are the lost? Who are the restored? Where are we? What questions are the, is this story asking of us? If you're not uncomfortable, start again.